listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit harvestkelowna.ca. Last Sunday night, we were at home as a family, and my parents were still visiting, and, and all of a sudden, there was this strange beeping sound that would go off every 10 seconds or so, and we were a little kind of confused as to wondering what it was. Was it the refrigerator? No, the refrigerator doesn't sound like that, you know, and, and was it our smoke detectors? And it didn't seem there was any smoke, and, you know, there was no problem with our smoke detectors, and then we narrowed it down. It was actually coming from our hallway by our, by our bedrooms, and it was our carbon monoxide detector that was sounding alarm. And uh, thankfully, we had our son, Nate, you know, grade 11. He's so smart. He reassured us. He went around and he smelled and he said, not to worry. There's no smell. There's no smell of gas. I can't smell anything. We're all okay. And uh, uh, as you know, uh, carbon monoxide or may not know is odorless. And so that's why you have a carbon monoxide detector. And so we kind of joked about that. But as I looked at the carbon monoxide detector, all it did was it showed me this readout in on, on the little readout um, thing that it was at the end. It was at the end and I unplugged it and I took a look at it and basically what it's saying, battery's done, detector is no longer working, you basically need to throw it away and go buy a new one, which we did on Monday. And and I got thinking a little bit about that in in just how certain things at times like a a, a carbon monoxide detector and actually my garage right now is filled with a number of items that I need to dispose of. I need to somehow get rid of, of items that have reached their end. It just seems we live in a very disposable society. And, and, and whether it's a TV, you know, it was acting up a few weeks ago. And, and, and I just found it to, be, it to be rather successful just to bang it a few times. And then it worked. And then finally the banging didn't work anymore. And the TV was done. And, uh, and, and there's other items in there of just things that have kind of reached their end. And you just think, I guess it's not good anymore. And so I wonder here this morning to take and apply that to our lives that it... That, that maybe perhaps today there are some of us, some of you here this morning that are at that point in your life when it comes to prayer. You're just kind of at the end. Or even maybe you even feel that way about your relationship with the Lord. Maybe in your marriage, maybe in your job, maybe in the ministry that you might be a part of or the ministry that you might even be leading or, 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 or in some other area in your life that it just kind of, you're at the end. You just, you've had a good run. There's been a time and a season where things seem kind of good. Progress was being made. Maybe in regards to prayer, you saw prayers answered and intimacy with God and there was a closeness that was there and there was victory over sin and, and maybe in that area or in some of these other relationships or some of these ministries in that that you've maybe been a part of there was victory and there was you know some some good things that were going on and now and now you're at this point though where it just kind of seems life is routine you're just going through the motions when it comes to prayer your requests and your coming before God is just kind of routine and generic and and sometimes maybe even wonder is God even listening to my prayers does he even care or maybe today you're in a good season and want to celebrate that and, 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 and encourage you to keep on going. And, and this message is for you. And this message is also for those who maybe are kind of sensing, hey, I'm nearing the end on some of these kind of aspects in my life. And, and I just don't know what to do. I'm stuck. I'm in this rut. And I need to get out. Well, praise the Lord. God's word has a way out. It provides an opportunity and an understanding here that we're going to see in this amazing book of Daniel for us to see ourselves get unstuck and to see our lives be filled 
perhaps for the first time or maybe the first time in a long time with some effective prayer. To be able to see and experience God answering our prayer and intimacy with God where we know his love, his power, his strength in our lives. And so regardless where you're at today, I trust and I've been praying this week and as I've been pounding through this this passage here today, oh God, would you show up in our midst? Oh God, may this not just be a simple lecture or sermon or something that we hear and we listen to. May it be transformational. May today be a day where, where, where God just does a work. Our eyes are open to the truths of scripture. His spirit is at work in our lives and we experience an awakening here today. One that will cause in the years, in the weeks, maybe the decades until we are taken home or until the Lord returns a, move, a movement of God. And it is possible because we see it happening before in scripture. And I believe that what we see in scripture, we can see God do once again in so many of these areas. And so today... For the most part, as we have been working through the book of Daniel, we're actually going to take a little break from the Bible prophecy part. Um, The last few weeks have been some pretty heavy slugging through through the last number of chapters, and so we're not going to have the charts, and we're not going to have the drawings, and even though some of them are pretty cool, and and, and it's just been an amazing journey. Well, Daniel 9 is almost like a bit of a timeout from that. There's just a small little portion. The last four verses have to deal with Bible prophecy. And so today we're going to focus mainly on the, the, the first part of that chapter. And what we're going to see here today, I believe so profoundly and so powerfully and so readily to be applied to our own lives is how to pray effectively. Maybe you're just wondering, I don't even know how to pray. Never really learned. I just feel a lot of guilt about it. I just feel like, you know, like I'm supposed to pray, but I don't know how to. And, you know, I've I've looked at a few books and different things like that. Well, today we're going to see from the word of God how to pray effectively, and we're going to learn from a man of prayer. And something else we're going to see is what happens when we pray. What actually happens when we call out to God? And it's amazing what we end up seeing take place. So let's dig into this passage here this morning in Daniel chapter 9 as we get into his word here this morning. And so we're going to start in verse 1 of Daniel 9. In the first year of Darius, the son of Asherus, by descendant of a Mede who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans. Now this just sets up the context a little bit. Basically what we know from history is this is the year 538 BC. We know this um, because of historical records and as well as biblical records that are kept. And so you say, well, is that really important? Yes, it is, because this means that Daniel has been a captive in Israel for 67 years. Daniel is now more than 80 years old. If you remember, as we started this, this series out many, you know, a number of months ago, that, that Daniel was a teenager when he and other captives were taken from their homeland, from Jerusalem, 800 miles to Babylon, and there they were, were set to serve in the king's court. As, uh, as a wise person, as an enchanter, as someone who would, would learn the customs and the ways of Babylon. He outlived in these 67 years a number of Babylonian kings and then ultimately the Babylonian empire. He, it, it was recently, this is the first year of the Medo-Persians taking over the Babylonian empire. And so Darius, the son of Asherus, is now the king. For 67 years, Daniel has been away from his homeland, from the people that he loved. For 67 years, life has not gone as he had planned. As a young boy, as a teenager, I'm sure he had certain hopes and dreams and plans and desires. And and being taken as a captive to pagan Babylon was not one of them. He no doubt had hopes and dreams for a family. 
To be around, have his kids around cousins and, and to enjoy a hope and a future in Jerusalem. And that did not happen. His homeland, the city of Jerusalem, was in ruins. The temple, no worship was taking place. Worship had stopped in the temple. And no doubt, and we see here, he was burdened for his homeland. He was a guy who was committed to prayer. And this is why we can learn so much from this man of prayer. The worship had stopped in Jerusalem and he longed to see that happen. And despite things not going as he planned, we see the whole theme from the, from, from the book of Daniel and we pretty well mentioned it almost every Sunday. What is the theme of this book? That God is large and in charge. God is large and in charge over the details of Daniel's life, over the Israelites, over the Babylonian empire that rose up and then was defeated. And now the Medo-Persian empire that has, has taken over and over the details of Daniel's life. And God is large and in charge over the details of your life as well. We must believe that and we must know that. And so I wonder today, what are you burdened about? What is the burden that is on, on your heart who are you burdened for today? We look at our lives. We look at the relationships that we have. Perhaps it's in the marriage that you are in. Or perhaps it's for a marriage. And you look at our nation and, and, and you see even the church of Jesus Christ in North America. And you become burdened and you become concerned for what is going on in our personal lives. The battle that we can face with sin, the struggles that we have, or even apathy. Some of you are apathetic today. You would even say, yep, that's me. I'm apathetic. I'm just in this rut. I'm in this stage. And God wants to show himself true to you today. He wants to show himself powerful and that he is ready and willing to meet you here this morning and to see that change. Some of you, you're burdened over relationships, the marriages of family and friends. You're your own marriage, maybe it's a health situation or financial, whatever it is, whatever the burden is, we can take it to God. We can turn to him. We can find help for our confusion. We can find hope for the despair that we are in. And what, what is Daniel doing with his burdens? What is he doing with, with the longings on his heart? Is he going around and posting it and telling everyone about it? Not really. What we're seeing is he is praying. And in and, and verse 19, we just see something so beautiful. If you just want to take a quick look there as he's calling out to God. This is after, this is towards the end of, uh, of his prayer before he goes into asking God to do something. He said, oh God, would you heal? Oh God, would you forgive? Oh God, would you pay attention? God, would you please show up? Would you move? Is that your prayer here today? Oh God, would you bring healing to that broken situation? Bring healing to my life. Bring forgiveness. Bring me help and cleansing for that sin that I'm struggling with. Oh Lord, would you pay attention? Would you see what's going on in my life, God? And God, would you please move? That's his prayer. And that can be our prayer here today too. And as he prays this powerful prayer, a blessing is bestowed upon him. Oh, the answer doesn't come right away, but the answer's coming. And the answer comes in some pretty amazing ways as we look back in history. You know, I believe that God wants to meet us here today in this city in this theater. He wants to, to meet us here in Western Canada, in, in our nation and around this world. God wants to do a work. He wants to stir and empower and strengthen and embolden and convict our lives. 
He wants to do work here in our midst. He wants to pour down his blessing upon our lives in ways that we have never even experienced up until this point in our lives. And oh, I pray that at, at the end of this day, whether it is in a literal way or in our hearts, that we would be at the foot of the cross, that we would be there in humility, say, oh God, would you do a work in me? Like that carbon monoxide detector that was at its end, you may be at your end, but God, you're not a carbon monoxide detector. God has a new hope and he has a new plan and he has a beginning that can start here for you today. Perhaps you don't know Jesus in a personal way and you, have an, you will have an opportunity to respond to him today. So let's examine this prayer. We're going to work through this prayer. Uh, these incredible verses that we will see and encourage you to write these things down because, the, I mean, Daniel has taken us to school. He's showing us here how we can learn in the school of prayer and how we can pray effectively. And we see, first of all, effective prayer, prayer that calls down heaven, prayer that gets results. Effective prayer is anchored in the word of God. Look at in verse 2. It says, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that, according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah, the prophet must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. You see, we can't overlook this fact of what Daniel was doing. This prayer that he was praying led to an amazing outcome was happened because it was rooted in Daniel's own personal study and knowledge of the word of God. Daniel's reading from the Bible. He's reading from the book of Jeremiah, the prophet, who years before the fall, fall of Jerusalem into captivity, he prophesied, he said, listen, Israel, if you do not turn, if you do not turn your way back to God, if you don't leave the idols, if you don't leave the pagan culture, you will be taken into captivity and it will be for 70 years. Jeremiah prophesied this. He said this would happen. And we also know that Daniel must have been reading from Jeremiah chapter 25 as well. You see the words on the screen, verses 11 and 12. It says, this whole land shall become a ruin and a waste. These nations shall serve the king of Babylon, serving uh, uh, Babylon 70 years. Then after 70 years are completed, I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation. And so, so Jeremiah is warning the people here. He's warning them that this is going to happen. He's telling them that if you're not turning from your sin and from your wickedness, you are going to be taken into exile. And another passage that he no doubt was reading from would have been Isaiah 29. Because again, this, the, the captivity of 70 years is referenced here. Jeremiah 29, this is such a... Especially verse 11 is such a well-known verse. Look at verse 10. Look, look at it in the context. He says, For thus says the Lord, When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you, and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, plans to give you a future and a hope. Remember how, I mean, that verse is so oftentimes put on coffee mugs, on cards. It is shared at graduations, that verse 11, for I know the plans I have for you, the, declares the Lord. And, and, and we tend to like the New International Version a little bit more if you have that version because it just talks a little bit more about me and what that's going to be about. So, so it talks about, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for, it says welfare, but we like the New International Version that says plans... Uh, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you 
and not, oh, we love that word prosper, don't we? Oh, yeah, God wants to prosper you grade 12 grads or, or, or college grads or, 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 or mothers on Mother's Day or, or, you know, we're writing that life verse for that person and, and this is my life verse. Oh, God wants to prosper me. No, this is talking about a restored worship. This is talking about having a peace because we're, we're right with God. We're able to worship God in spirit and in truth. And as a result of that, th- there's a peace and there is a prosperity and a blessing that money cannot buy. And so it goes on to say in verse 12, it says, Then you will call on me and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather from all the nations and the places where I've driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. So here God is promising to Israel, he's promising that after 70 years, you're coming back and worship is going to be restored. He's talking about worship being restored and the land the Israelites being together once again in worship. And he says, this will happen when you seek me. When you seek me, not with an undivided heart, not with a half-baked heart when it comes to seeking heart after God. It is with a whole heart that we seek after him. Daniel took the promises of the word of God and he applied them to the situation he was at. Here he is, 67 years in. He knew what God's word said very specifically. It's going to be 70 years. But this was also contingent that there was some prayer going on. And so Daniel didn't know how many others were praying. But what's Daniel doing? He's praying. Because even God said, this will happen when you call upon me. When you call upon me with all your heart. When you get serious about prayer, watch out. I'm going to show up. The captives will be set free and you'll be able to return to your home. And so here Daniel is taking the promises of God's word and he's taking the problems and he's putting it together and he's praying through the promises of God's word in and through the problems that they're facing. And this is a wonderful recipe for us when it comes to our prayer as well. He took the promises and he applied them to his problems. We can do the exact same thing today. As we look at our nation, as we look at the chaos, the turmoil, the unrest, I mean, what a mess. You just watch the news week after week and you just hear the various things that are taking place in Canada even. This week I I heard someone shared in our small group how now they've heard there's over three dozen different gender identifications that are being recognized in school systems today. Over three dozen different gender identifications. And and just even this morning in, in the book of Mark, I love the way God's word just threw it in there. He says, God created us male and female. Two things. That's what God says. Male and female. And somehow we've taken and we have, have, have now 30 some, um, I think it's now 37 different gender identifications I've heard. There's so much confusion. Or even the state of the church in North America. I mentioned a little bit about that last week. And then this week I heard that one of the pastors of one of the largest churches in the United States has recently, has just recently, it may have been last Sunday or the Sunday before, declared that as Christians we need to unhitch ourselves from the Old Testament. We don't need the Old Testament in order to pursue a life with Jesus Christ. That would be like standing a person up here, chopping off their legs and saying, oh, you don't need your legs anymore. You're fine. You can just go on your torso. You can go on your torso, but it's going to be a struggle. We can't go without the word of God. We, you can't cut it up. You can't divide it. You can't toss it out. It's all important. All scripture is God-breathed, and it's all profitable for the believers today. 
And so it's just sad when you hear these kind of things. And, 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 and at times we think, well, what is the hope for our nation? And, and so easily we become cynical. We can become angry. And we can become self-righteous. So, so what's the answer for Canada? What's the answer for our nation? A stronger economy? Getting the right prime minister voted in? Electing all the right leaders in our provinces? Building a pipeline? Is that going to be the answer? Folks, there's one solution for our nation. There's one solution for our, pro for our province, for our economy. And there's one solution, and that solution is Jesus Christ. It is him at work in our hearts and in our lives. And when God gets hold of his church in the that we see in the word of God what's one of the promises we can take the problems that we're facing in our world today and take a scripture and apply it to we can take 2nd Chronicles seven fourteen. what an incredible promise we have in the word of God that Jesus uh, that God has given to us in his word that if my people that's you and me who are called by his name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin and will heal their land. That's a promise. We have to take the problems we're facing and we take the promise and the word of God, put it together and we get busy on that and we wait and we pray and we continue on until God answers. And God has done it in the past. Wake up. He can do it again today. He can. We just don't think, you know, oh, you know, that's not going to happen. That can't happen again. What happened years ago? No. When I was just still in diapers, there was a little church in Saskatoon, a little Baptist church that took this prayer seriously. They saw the problems of where things were in the 1970s. You think things weren't bad in the 1970s. They weren't. Compared to today, they were bad then for those people back then. And in the 1970s, early 1970s, they took and they started to pray. And they took this prayer seriously and they started to meet together to pray on a Saturday night that God would show up in their lives, in their church, in their city. They prayed and they prayed and this went on not just for one Sunday, not just for a month. This went on for well over a year as they continued to seek God. And you know what? Nothing really happened. Nothing grand, nothing started changing in their city. The only thing that started to change is more and more people started showing up for this prayer night on Saturday nights. And after well over a year of them meeting together in prayer, God showed up in a powerful move of his spirit. And some of you are here today and have been, had experienced that firsthand. And some of you have, have, have experienced that. I, I'm kind of a grandbaby almost, if you want to say that. My parents' lives were totally transformed. They were good church-going people sitting like you are sitting here today. And then God got hold of them. And they confessed their areas of sin. They got right with God. They made things right with others. And it was a movement that started spreading through churches. It wasn't any weird stuff. The only weird stuff was if people repenting of their sin and coming to one another in brokenness and saying, before God, I am sorry. And they would go to those that they had wronged, that they had harmed, that they had, 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 had been dishonest with, and they made those things right. There were two brothers who walked into one side of the church every Sunday, and one walked on the other side. They wouldn't speak together. There was another couple getting ready to, to divorce and, 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 and to not even separate, but to divorce. And God did a work in the lives of those brothers. God did a work in the lives of that couple. And, and the stories continue to, to keep flowing out of there of what God was doing. God did it then. He'll do it again if my people who are called by my name humble themselves. Taking the problems we're facing and we take the problem. Every problem we're facing there is a promise. There's an answer. There's a solution in the word of God.
That is why we need to get to know the word of God. That's why we study the word of God. That's why we pray in and through the word of God. This is why God's word is so important for us today. Folks, we are to breathe in scripture. As we're breathing in scripture, we breathe out prayer. Breathe in scripture and breathe out prayer. And as you're going through your daily Bible reading, as you're spending time alone with God, turn that into a prayer. Is there something I need to obey? Is there something I need to confess? Do I need to stop and praise God at this point? Do I need to stop and give him thanks? Is there something? And, and so this is a movement that we can develop in our lives when we're seeking God, that it's not just, you know, trying to pound through a, a, a checklist of, of Bible reading, but it's spending time praying the word of God, reading the word of God. And it just continues like that. Another statement here, I encourage you to write it down. It's a great kind of little reminder. Don't pray without your Bible and don't read your Bible without prayer. Because it will keep you on track. You want to know the, the will of God, get to know the word of God. And this is what Jesus means and what he talks about in John chapter 15 when it means abiding in Christ. John 15 verse 7. It says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Now, now people take that prayer and, and, and take that passage and they, and, and they really butcher it because they kind of forget this. I, and my words abide in you. It's like, if you abide, abide in me and, you know, they kind of gloss over that part. Ask whatever you want of God and he'll give it to you. No, this happens when we are in relationship, when we know the word of God and when we're praying the word of God. Because we're praying the will of God when we're praying the word of God. And that's what it means to abide in Christ and have powerful prayers. See, there's this connection between the word and our prayers. And Daniel's prayer here that we're going to see is so anchored in the word of God. Another thing that we see about this effective prayer of Daniel, we'll see it in the next few verses, that it's confident in relationship. Effective prayer is confident in relationship. Let's read in verse 3. It says, Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. You see, as we see in here, early on in Daniel's life, he entered into a covenant relationship with God. With Jehovah God. And he did this according to the Old Testament traditions and requirements. His parents no doubt had him circumcised when he was young. And he continued on as a young boy. Faithfully being taken to the house of God. And, 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 and he also made, would have made this part of his own heart. Desire and, and, and following through the customs and, and the traditions that the Old Testament re law required for a teenage boy. And he desired to stay true to the commands of God. There would have been many opportunities for him to throw in the towel. Many opportunities for him to compromise. Times to say, God, if this is what you have allowed in my life for me to be taken from my family, from my homeland, and here in evil, I'm done with you, God. But he didn't. He continued to trust God. He continued to believe that God was large and in charge of his life. And as he did that, we see he knew God in an incredible way. Look where it says, love what we see here. In verse 3, it says, Then I turned my face to the Lord God. The word Lord God in there means Adonai, which means sovereign ruler, means mighty God. So he turned his face towards Adonai, sovereign God, mighty, powerful ruler of the universe. But look what he says in verse 4. Look down at verse 4. You might want to underline one word in there. He says, And I prayed to the Lord my God. My God. He's not just some God that's out there. 
He says he's my God. He's confident in his relationship with God. He's saying he's my God, not some God who's far off. Yes, he is mighty and sovereign and majestic, but he's also my God. And so he knows that my God hears. My God can answer. And we'll see that a little later on. For us on this side of the cross, we don't have to go through religious traditions and customs like they did in the Old Testament. On this side of the cross, you and I have the privilege of entering into a covenant relationship with the God of the universe all because of Jesus, because of what Jesus has done. When we come as an individual to him by faith, no matter what we have done, no matter our age, when we come to him by faith and we come to the cross believing that he died on the cross for my sin and he was the sacrifice for my sin, that he took the wrath that I deserve for my sin and we confess that to God and we confess our sin to God, we tell him we're sorry and then we also turn, we repent, we turn from those ways and we say, God, I want to follow your ways and as a result of that kind of a heart desire, that kind of a prayer, we enter into a covenant relationship with God. And Jehovah, mighty God, Adonai, is my God. Is he your God today? Do you know him in a personal way? You see, if we do, as Daniel did here, as it says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, it says, because of this, we can approach the throne of grace with what? Fear and trembling? We approach the fear or approach the throne of grace with what? Confidence. Confidence. Because we are chosen child of the most high God. God hears us. Daniel is confident in his relationship and it gives him incredible boldness and confidence in his prayers. And we're going to see that in a moment. But we see something else here. Effective prayer flows out of a humble heart. To have an effective prayer life, to be experiencing the power of God in our lives, it's going to, it flows out of a humble heart. Look at it, it says in the last part of verse 3, it says, Seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. There's a humility here. This means desperation is taking place. Daniel is bringing his request to God with fasting, which is almost a forgotten discipline today, isn't it? We don't talk about that very much. We don't want to give up food. What is fasting? Well, fasting is withholding food for the sake of prioritizing something else that is more important. It's bringing our prayers, our requests to God and say, hey, I'm so desperate. I so want God to move in this way. I'm giving up food. I believe if God's people, if we got serious about fasting and said, hey, I want God to move and stir and work in this person's life or in this situation to the point where we're willing to give up food, God, God then gets our attention because we love food, don't we? We can't go a meal without food. We need it all constantly, don't we? And some of you got that even. That's good. Jesus even, in Matthew 6, he didn't talk about, when he talked about fasting, he didn't say, if you fast, he says, when you fast. 
And so Daniel is fasting. This isn't just a one-time prayer. This is no doubt something that's been on his heart and a, a, a prayer of his heart for some time. He's fasting. And then it says with sackcloth. This was a rough material, often an animal skin, sometimes turned inside out in such a way that it would be irritating to the skin. It would be hot in a hot Mediterranean kind of uh, climate. It, it was a sign of humiliation and making yourself kind of this declaration of I'm done. I'm undone. I'm broken. I'm desperate for God to work. And so there would be sackcloth cloth there would be fasting and then also ashes which symbolize I'm in complete ruin God if you don't show up this is what it is Job we read would take ashes he sat in a heap of ashes and put him on his head just to show his loss his desperation and in the same way we see fasting we see sackcloth we see ashes a sign of despair and humility willing to do whatever it takes in order for God to work in order for God. Are you willing to do whatever it takes for God to work in our midst, to work in your family, to work in our church, to work in our nation? Something else we see about effective prayer is that effective prayer is confession-filled. Just listen to these verses, these 10 verses here starting at verse 5, and just listen to the heart of confession that takes place. It says, We have sinned and have done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled. Turning aside from your commandments and rules, we have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the peoples of the land. To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us, open shame, as at this day to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and to all of Israel, those who are near and those who are far away in all the lands to which you have driven them because of the treachery that they have committed against you. To us, O Lord, belongs open shame to our kings, to our princes, to our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord, our God, belong mercy and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against him and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord, our God by walking in his laws, which he set before us by his servants, the prophets. And all Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, refusing to obey your voice. And the curse and the oath that are written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out upon us because we have sinned against him. He has confirmed his word, which he spoke against us and against our rulers who ruled us by bringing upon us a great calamity. For under the whole heaven, there has not been anything done like what has been done against Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come upon us, yet we have not entreated to the favor of the Lord our God, turning from our iniquities and gaining insight by your truth. Therefore, the Lord has kept ready the calamity and has brought it upon us, for the Lord our God is righteous in all the works that he has done, and, he, and we have not obeyed his word. Just, just look at the words in there, just, just highlighting some of them. Notice what he says, even starting in verse 5, he's like, we've sinned, we've done wrong, we've rebelled, we've acted wickedly, we didn't listen, we broke your laws, we turned away. Here he's just laying it all out. And he says, God, you were right. You were right in what you did. You were right in sending us into captivity because we broke your laws. And you warned us. You warned us. You said this would happen. You ever see that in a restaurant when you're in a restaurant and, and it's some other kid that's acting up at another table that you're not a part of and, and, and you're seeing the parents, you know, you see that, uh, the impatience and you see them trying to work with that, that, that lovely little child and um, and. and, and Others are looking like, aren't they going to do something? Aren't they going to do something? And then all of a sudden, finally, the parent says, let's go. And they go storming out of there. And you know something's happening. 
and everyone in the restaurant, of course, applauds, kind of saying, you know, have you ever experienced that? Has it ever been your kid? Um, that was certainly ours at, at some point. Um, and you know what? Here, in the same way, God had warned Israel. He had told them through the prophets, through the law, over and over again, you do this. You go against the law. You go and do your own thing. You pursue other gods. You're going to fall into captivity. If you follow my word, there will be blessing. And they chose to ignore. And all of a sudden, the hammer dropped. And so Daniel saying, God, you were right. You were right in what you did. You were right in your ways. We deserve this. This is on us. But today, we don't like doing that, right? We like to blame shift today. We like to make excuses for our sin, for our faults, for our problems. We give, them we give sins, some titles to sins. Instead of calling it sin, we call it an addiction. Or we find a medical kind of uh, condition or diagnosis or, 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 or some sort of medical kind of statement for the sin that we're struggling with. No, we've got to get real and call sin, sin. And look how he's confessing it. He's jumping in there with him. He's confessing it as his, as his own sin. He says, we've sinned against you. We've done this. He's not standing there all self-righteously and saying, look at these people. Look at what they've done for, you know, the last number of decades and look at everything that has taken place here. No, he's jumping in there with them. There's no self-righteousness here. He says, we're responsible for this. We've done this. We're responsible for the state of our nation. And folks, in the same way here in Canada, we can look at what's going on and we can say it's because of elected officials or because of liberal churches or this or that. No, we have to jump in there along with the problems that we're facing and say we're responsible. We're the ones who have caused this. We are the ones who, it's happened on our watch. And we're in there with, with the rest and we're pleading for God, not as self-righteous people. And what we know about Daniel is he lived a pretty amazing life. He lived you could almost say a squeaky clean life. Remember earlier on, I believe it was in chapter 2, when, when his enemies were trying to find uh, some bad about him and, and just finding the dirt on him. And, and they couldn't find, and they're like, we find no fault in this guy. He, he lives a faultless life. And yet, what do we see Daniel doing in verse 20? He said, it says, while I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people. He was confessing the sin of his people, but he was confessing his own sin. So oftentimes we don't see our sin, do we? We might say, well, I, I'm not, you know, it's not evident that I'm struggling with any of the big stuff, you know, but we don't see our sin, but others can oftentimes see it. And one person who definitely sees it is our God. He sees our sin. He knows even the secret regions of our heart, of our mind, of our past. And you see, the key to effective prayer, the key to revival, the key to a life where God is showing up in power deals with the confession of sin. And yes, maybe our lives aren't marked with the big outward biggie sins that are out there. But what about the sins of the heart? What about some of the Christian sins that we tend to overlook and kind of not make a big deal or we can justify? Let me list some of the Sins in my heart. Some of these are sins in my heart and sins represented in here by you folks. I'll let you guess which ones fall on whom. Prayerlessness. Thinking I can get by on my own. 
I can muscle through anything and I really don't need to pray. That's a sin, repent. A critical spirit, finding fault with others because they don't measure up to my standards. Repent. Gossip, spreading things that aren't true about others. Repent. Slander, telling the truth about a person with the intent that others will think less of them. Lying, not telling the truth or perhaps an exaggeration of the truth. Lust, pornography, hatred, unforgiveness, drunkenness, wrong doctrine, allowed liberal teaching to gain a foothold in your life. Jealousy, the love of money, a bad temper, losing patience with a person. Bad temper, losing control and becoming verbally or physically abusive. Repent and get help. Repent. And there's so many others that we could continue on here. But whatever the Lord brings to mind, we take and what do we do? We apply the truths of God's word to these sins. And what is one of the greatest truths we can apply to? This is 1 John 1, 9. If I confess my sin, he is faithful, he is just, and he will forgive my sins and cleanse me from what? That whole list I just read is gone. We're cleansed. It's time for God's people to call sin by what sin is and confess it. Lord, it's sin and I'm sorry. Don't justify it. Quit excusing it. Confess it. Repent from it. Turn from it. Repent means that we're going to go the other way. We choose to go God's way now. And if there's areas of accountability and areas where you need help, talk to one another. That's what small groups, that's what brothers and sisters in Christ are for. And here's another thing. Private confession at times will lead to public confession. You see, when our, when our sins have affected the lives of others, first of all, we confess it to God. But if it's affected others in a negative way or in a wrong way, we need to go and we meet, need to make that right with God. And when, we, when believers in Christ start doing that, you watch out to see the hand of God and his spirit start moving in families, in churches, in our world, in our nation. It's hard. We're so prideful. But it's the life, the path to freedom, to power, to victory. So that you're... The monitor on your heart doesn't say, I'm at the end. It's saying it's a new beginning because he cleanses. This past week, washed some of the windows in our house from a winter of dust and all of that kind of junk dust on the inside. It's amazing the way this stuff. Anyone have that in your house or do your windows just stay naturally clean all the time? Uh, you lie. Um, <laughs> anyways, well, maybe you don't. Maybe you found a way, a secret I need to find out about. And it's amazing, but... Man, it is so different when you take a look out those windows and, and, and you just can see outside just things look crisper and cleaner. And he brings that kind of cleansing to our heart when we confess. When we are right with God, when we are right with others, it's springtime in the soul. And wow, does he have beauty in store for his children when we live a life of confession in that way. And then another thing we see here, Effective prayer involves supplication or asking that is grounded in the goodness of God and for the glory of God. 
Look at in verse 15. We see Daniel, there's a shift now from verse 14 to 15 is now he's coming with a request. He's coming with requests. He's coming with a supplication. Verse 15. And now, O Lord, our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and have made a name for yourself at, as at this day, we have sinned, we have done wickedly. So a little more confession there. But now in verse 16. O Lord, according to all your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem your holy hill because for our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers Jerusalem and your people have become a byword among all who are around us now therefore O Lord our God listen to our prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercy and for your own sake O Lord make your face to shine upon your sanctuary which is desolate O God incline your ear and hear open your eyes and see our desolations and the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake. O my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. And so here we see Daniel. He's calling out to God and he's asking, oh, return us back to Jerusalem. But do it not for our sake because we we don't deserve it, but do it for your sake because you are a good God. Do it. Be, you were faithful in the past how you delivered Egypt and he brings up Egypt. That was the sign of God's presence and God's moving as he took his people out of slavery in Egypt and, and brought them into the promised land. And so he said, based on what you did before, now do it again. Bring us out of this captivity. Take us out of these 67 years of exile. Return us home to Jerusalem. God, in the way that you brought your people out of slavery, bring us back out from this captivity that we're in. Oh, God, would you do this? And God, I know we don't deserve it, but you do it because you're merciful. He's remi reminding God, remember, you're merciful. He's recalling the goodness of God. And then he's also making this. He says, and it's not for our sake. It's for your glory. Would you be glorified? God, would you do this for your namesake, for your glory? You see, in reality... We're all glory thieves. We want the glory. We like the glory. We like fame. We like people to appreciate and notice. And, and so oftentimes, it's about our wants and about our comforts. It's about our reputation. It's about our glory. So that people would look at us and say, wow, look at him. And Irina so appreciated your heartfelt prayer here today getting to what really counts when it comes to motherhood. That it be for God's glory. It's what God knows about us. How he feels towards us. And so oftentimes we live for our own glory. J.D. Greer in a video that our small groups watched a little while ago from Vertical Church Conference. He's a pastor of a large and a very amazing church planting church in, I believe it's Raleigh, North Carolina. And he was telling him how he was one day spending time alone with God in prayer and looking over the city and praying for a city and said, oh God, would you just revive? Oh God, would you do a great work? Would you do a mighty work in the city? And he said, God didn't speak to him in an audible voice, but he said it was louder than an audible voice and how God spoke to him and said, JD, would you still be praying this prayer if this, what you are asking, didn't involve you or your church? What if I chose to bless and use another church 
to see revival and to see a move of the Spirit of God here across Raleigh, in the city they were living in, or across the United States, and you didn't get any credit or any of the glory. And he goes on to say, he says, of course, you know, my answer was, oh, no, God, it's for your glory. But he said, oh, it's a battle in here because we want the glory. We're these glory thieves. We want the credit. We want people to notice us and to say something, how awesome we are, how great we are, how all together you are. And here we see Daniel. He's just slipping into the shadows, saying, it's not about me. God, it's, this is for your glory. This isn't my prayer. This isn't the, the Daniel prayer that got all the captives to return home. No, God, this is your glory. But here's ways that we might do this. Oh, God, help my church to grow so that people can see how great and awesome of a pastor I am. Oh, God, would you heal? Would you bring healing into the situation, whether physically or emotionally, or so that my life would be easier, so that people would see my great faith? Or maybe another way we're glory thieves is, oh, God, may my children follow hard after you. That's a good prayer to pray so that everyone can see how awesome of a parent I am. No, it's for his glory. God, would you save my children for, for your glory? May I decrease, God, and may you increase. Oh, God, save my neighbors and so that everyone will think what a great evangelist and soul winner I am. I mean, we never say that, but it, I don't know if you're like me. These kind of glory kind of moments kind of keep cropping up. Oh, God, use my gifts and my abilities and my ministry and different things so people will just see how dedicated I am to you. Oh, God, use my business, help it to succeed, or may I get good grades so that people see how smart I am. Oh, God, would they see even through your humility, through God's blessing, or even through time, difficulty, and, and heartache that it's all for God's glory. See, so oftentimes our prayers can be motivated for our glory and not God's glory. And would, would our prayers be like Daniel's? Oh, God, would you move? Look at the way his prayers were, were just devoted around this. You know, Daniel never made it back to Jerusalem. It was believed he was too old by in the next three years. And as the call was given, the decree was made, and the Israelites started to go home. Hundreds, thousands from all over the region were able to go home to Jerusalem. And little did probably those thousands of Jews as they were heading home, rejoicing and singing, knowing that there was a gray-haired, gray-bearded old guy up in the king's palace, up in the king's court, watching them go home. And they had no idea that this faithful man of prayer was praying for this release. Probably had no idea. But heaven has an idea, and we have that idea now. We know this because of God's word. But those people had no clue. He probably got no thanks, no recognition. He didn't want it. God, this is for your glory. So here we see some ways of how we can pray effectively, but now we have to just take a quick look at what happens when we pray, and this is just amazing. Look at it in verse 20. It says, while I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of all my people, Israel, and presenting my plea before, my, before the Lord my God for the holy hill of my God, 
While I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in a vision at first, came to me in swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice. He made me understand, speaking with me and saying, Oh, Daniel, I now have come out to give you insight and understanding. At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out, and I have come to tell it to you, for you are greatly loved. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. So what happens when we pray? What happens when our prayers go to heaven? First of all, write down, God hears. Look at verse 20. It says, while he was praying. And then in verse 23, it says, at the beginning of his pleas, as Daniel was praying, heaven was stirred. Heaven is stirred when God's people pray. Heaven dispatched, God dispatched Gabriel to go to Daniel. And he comes and says, Daniel, I've come to tell you some answers here to your prayers. Your prayers have been heard. Oh, and Daniel, you want to know what they think about you in heaven? You want to know what they think about you in heaven? Look at verse 23. Before he even gives him the answer and gives him kind of the interpretation and gives him an understanding of what's going to happen, he says, Daniel, we need to know you're greatly loved. We think much of you in heaven. Can I tell you this morning, folks, that as a child of God, you are greatly loved. Disobedient child, perhaps here today, you are greatly loved. Our God loves us. That's what he thinks about us and, and what he says about us. We are loved. So God hears and then we see God answers. And in these verses that follow, these verses 24 to 27, I encourage you to read those at home. They are difficult verses. I'll be upfront and honest with you. Perhaps some of the most difficult verses in the book of Daniel. But as you carefully research and study, and I spent some time on this this past week, it's mind-blowing the amazing truths of these prophetic words that are spoken. But here's the bottom line. Here's the Coles Notes version of what was, what was said to Daniel. He says, Daniel, Gabriel is coming. The angel is coming to Daniel. And he says, you need to know there's a hope in a future. There's going to be a decree, and your people are heading home. Daniel, it's coming. It's going to happen. It's not going to be right away, but when the decree is given, get ready. They're heading home. So it's going to happen. But he says, but it's not going to be easy. He warns them it's not going to be easy as they go back and rebuild the temple and rebuild the walls. And Ezra and Nehemiah account for that. But he says they will restore. They will re rebuild even in the midst of troubled time. But then it goes on. This prophecy it continues on. He says, and Daniel, there's going to be a Messiah that's going to come. Which he did. Messiah did come. And he will be opposed. And it says he will be cut off, which Jesus was. He was opposed and he was cut off. He was buried, dead, but he rose again. And then he even speaks about the destruction of the temple once again and the Antichrist that will come. But then he goes on to say, but in the end, sin is coming to an end. In the end, it's done. All, and, and, and at the end, all of these prophecies will be validated. Everything has happened. And many of those prophecies have happened and some are yet to come. God answers Daniel's prayers immediately. Heaven is dispatched. Heaven hears. The moment the child of God calls out to God, heaven hears. We may not get the answer right away, but we need to know heaven hears. This is what's going on in heaven. The response is immediate, immediate, immediate to the cry of our heart. And then the answer we see came specifically three years later as the call was given. And then it came and will come ultimately when Jesus, Messiah, defeats Satan, sin, and death once for all. Oh, loved ones, today would we know that when we call upon God, he hears, he answers, and ultimately one day, 
we will be victorious with him. That is a promise. Oh, would, be, would, would we be a church, families, individuals that would come together at the foot of the cross and pray for God to pour out his spirit, that we would be people anchored in the word of God as we pray, confident in our relationship with, with God, knowing we are loved, we are esteemed, would it flow from a humble heart, a confession-filled heart, and supplications and asking God that it's not for my sake, it's not for my easy life, but it's ultimately for his glory.